Welcome. Welcome to this walk. I'm doing this walk for some years now, and I'm glad that you're here today. We will not come back to this place, but I can show you where to get back to the tube or whatever. This walk is a sort of mobile reading, yes. I would like to ask you to keep your questions to yourself until the end, yes. <laughs> I met Franz Kafka when I was five years old. The year was 1923, the month, November. The place, here, Steglitz City Park, Berlin. Other trees rustled here in 1923. Are any of you familiar with Steglitz? Steglitz was not like it is now. No. It was quite a rural area then. There were still farmers around, believe it or not. I lived in a two-bedroom flat with my parents in one of those tall red brick merchant houses looking out onto the park. Yes, over there, uh, to the right of the linden tree. It was the same rural suburb that Franz Kafka had come to live in a month or so previously. Paved roads and lowing cows, milk carried home in milk pails to perfumed gardens close to the city, but away from the crowds. Fresh air and reasonable rents. Steglitz was carefully chosen for him. As should be, I suppose, for one of the great and prophetic writers of the 20th century. But Dora Diamant didn't care about any of that. Or so she said, she only cared for him. A 25-year-old Jewish kindergarten teacher from Poland whom he had met in Moritz as he inhaled the brisk northern air in a vain attempt to defeat his TB. She enticed him to do what he had always wanted and he extracted himself from the smothering confines of Prague and came to live in Berlin with her. The last great act of his life, abetted, if that's the word, by the last great love of his life. What was it in particular about Dora that finally persuaded him to come. Her independence, her wide mouth, her vivaciousness, her willingness to teach him Hebrew, we shall probably never really know. But I am so grateful she managed it. Because if she hadn't, I wouldn't have met him. I wouldn't have met him the day I lost my beloved ragdoll Lottie here in Steglitz City Park. I was a happy little girl who loved her cat and her neighbour's dog and her father's pocket watch and her mother's smile and buttery biscuits with warm milk and the brightly coloured budgies in the old lady's apartment upstairs. But sometimes at night, as I lay in bed watching the stars through the crack in the curtains, I couldn't help feeling lonely. When I felt like this, I would close my eyes, cross my fingers and toes, and make wish upon wish. For I wished for nothing more than a doll. It might seem strange to you that I didn't have a doll, for I was nearly five. But it was a strange and difficult time. The world had fractured, and grief was where happiness should be. Where suns had stood, now lay flowers. Flowers upon flowers heaped across the land to breach the weeping fissure. Money which had always weighed heavy, 
and heavily in the pockets of men, now flew as light as feathers. Like butterflies, it had to be caught in nets and piled into wheelbarrows, like the dung on the streets of Steglitz. A barrow of coins exchanged for a small, damp box of matches. So many things that should have been were not. The morning of my fifth birthday, my heart bursting with hope, I slid and scampered down the corridor's polished floors and into the breakfast room. There on the table was the most beautiful doll I had ever seen. My mother, bending low, stretched the gangly-limbed rag doll out towards me, saying, Meet Lisa Lotte. I made her for you, darling. I hope you don't mind that it was me that made her for you. But the dolls in the shop... Well, we couldn't quite manage it, I'm afraid. So here she is. Lisa Lotte. Aren't you going to say hello? I clutched the funny little doll to my heart. I'm going to call her Lottie. That's a much nicer, That's a name. Much nicer name. I love her. I love her so I love much. Her so much. Please turn around now for a moment. That very day, I brought Lottie here, to this very spot, my favourite place in the whole wide world. The Little Wood, as we called it. That copse of five tall elms stretching majestically to the sky. Tumble out the heavy front door, down the five steps, past the tree, onto the street. The smell of pig in the air. Past another tree, count the spikes. One, two, three. Push open the gate, into the park. What will we do, Lottie? We'll play. What will we play? Hide and seek, our favourite game, of course. My mother was too weak from the coughing disease to come to the park now, but she would watch me play from her window high above. There. Look, beyond the black railings and to the right slightly. You can just see her window. When Kafka came to Berlin, the leaves were falling. It is just like today. I can still see it very clearly, the day I lost my doll. We are standing where it happened. You, in fact, are standing on the same green moss I was standing on. Stretch out your arm. Feel how smooth the elm feels under your hand. It's nice, yes? Comforting somehow. But it didn't comfort me that day. We were about to go home. It was getting dark, and Lottie was getting cold. But we decided, or rather, Lottie decided, to play one last game. She would hide, and I would seek. I counted as best I could, being only five, to one hundred. I remember hearing something fracture behind me, and I looked around, but there was nothing there. And so having got to a hundred, I yelled, Ready or not, I'm coming to get you! But I couldn't get her. I didn't get her. I searched and searched for her, burrowing deep into the leaves to try and unearth her, but the more I looked, the less likely it became that I would find her. You can see how high the leaves are. Bursting with grief, I lurched over to this wooden slatted bench here, where the weeping willow used to arch, and I cried. Nothing else to do. What you got for a pound of butter? Teaching at school? 
a pair of boots, a painter's picture, a doctor's cure from the flu. Interview, Dora Diamant, London, April 1948. Ah, the little girl. Everyone always wants to know about the little girl and her doll. Everyone. Everyone. So long ago. So long ago. I'm older now than France was when he died. It's difficult to believe. He died just a month before his 41st birthday. Berlin. Oh, where to start? Franz had always dreamed of coming. He had never managed it somehow before, and then his TB. But he knew that if he didn't change his life, it would be more difficult to continue living. I threw myself into helping him, into arranging everything. I was so excited. Oh, and he came. I knew he would. I cooked his meals, I sold his stashes of Czech butter for cash, sat with him as he wrote, taught him our prayers, walked the parks with him. I even constructed an oil lamp out of pieces of old tin and discarded wicks. Oh, a rickety old thing, but it worked. <laughs> a miracle. <laughs> he could write at night again. <laughs> I did everything I could. Everything. Oh, sorry, where was I? Oh, yes, the girl in the park. We heard her before we saw her. I remember that. The mossy path under the willow tree curved around to the left, and there she was. I suppose it's odd to think of a little girl alone in a park getting up to who knows what. It wouldn't happen now, not a chance. But it wasn't so long after the war people had become inured. Common or garden fears had been erased. Um, no, obliterated by that boiling cauldron of slaughter. She was crying at the top of her lungs. I was crying loudly as only five-year-olds can. <laughs> and this tall, thin, well-dressed man in a dark coat and hat rushed over to me. I thought he looked odd, strange. I, I can see some of you don't believe me. <laughs> You're raising your eyebrows at me. Well, these trees here, they are my witnesses. These old trees would have seen Kafka bustle towards me, his milk pail still in his hand. Oh, there's a cat. <laughs> Seems to be following us. Must have heard the word milk. France hurried over to her. I followed. On reaching her, he bent down towards her and in a low, calm voice asked her what had happened to make her cry so urgently. I think I would have run away, except he asked me so kindly what the matter was. I can't find Lottie. I've looked for her and I've looked Lottie. for her everywhere I've and I'm the best at seeking in the whole wide world. I always fight her. She told me to bury her as deep as I could in the leaves. I didn't want to, but she made me. I said I would mind her and I've lost her and Mother's going to be very cross with me. And when she's cross, her coughing gets very bad. And I hate her when her coughing gets bad because she has to spit in her jar and I don't like her stupid jar. 
Franz was so saddened by the little girl's distress, I went over to the mound of leaves she had indicated. I began to search for her doll, but the light was failing and the leaves were almost hip high. Lottie isn't Lottie there. Isn't there. She's, gone. she's gone. I know she's I know gone. She's gone. I, know she is. I know she is. I began to think that there was nothing more we could do for the little girl, but Franz, understanding the depth of her despair, said, Lottie, you say this doll's name is Lottie. Describe her to me. She has long, she has long, long, hair, long hair tied in tied two plaits and, and blue eyes. And she was wearing, she was her, wearing favorite her favorite dress with brown and gold, brown and gold flowers, on flowers on it. And, and her red boots and her green coat. I love her green coat. Franz, thinking on his feet, told the little girl he had met her doll and that he had no idea it was her doll he had met. Otherwise, he would have told her straight away. He told the little girl that her doll merely wanted to escape the confines of family life for a while, wanted to explore the world that lay beyond. When he told me Lottie had gone on a journey, I believed him. He told me so simply. But I couldn't see why Lottie told a stranger she was hop-skipping out of Steglitz. Nor did I understand why she hadn't taken me with her. He said the note Lottie had written would clarify everything for me. I thought it very queer she had opted to write a note to him. But he said it was clear I was young, and although he didn't want to cause offence, thought it probable I couldn't read. This irked me. I can so read. I know all my letters, and I can say the alphabet the fastest in my class. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, T, K, L, M, N, P, Q, R, S, T, E, V, W, X, Y, and Z. He said he had no doubt but that I could read, that Lottie had told him I was a very clever young girl whom she loved very much, but that she didn't think my reading was quite up to a full letter. She had come to an arrangement with him in particular, he explained, because dolls are far more astute than we give them credit for. Lottie had realised by just looking at him that he was a writer and was therefore really quite used to reading letters. <laughs> Writers like letters. Everybody knows that. That's what he told me. But I wanted proof. Show me the letter. I don't think I've ever seen Lottie write. She's never shown the tiniest bit of interest in writing. Franz made a great show of patting his coat and pulling out scraps of paper. <laughs> I think he was enjoying himself. When he didn't find the letter, he declared the other thing everyone knew about writers was that they are silly, forgetful numbskulls. He told her that he must have left the letter at home and promised to bring it with him to the park the following day. After saying goodbye to the little girl, we went directly back to our rooms. I made tea for us both and Franz started into the letter immediately. I'm not sure he even took off his coat. I wasn't sure whether he was telling the truth or not, but the next day I rushed to the park as quickly as I could after school. And there he was, waiting for me. Here, by this bench, a piece of paper in his hand. There's that cat again. <laughs> I've, I've never seen a cat in this part of the park before. Maybe it's Kafka. Greetings from your Lottie. I am sure you are quite cross with me, and I am sorry for that. I am sorry too for the manner of my leaving, but I am not sorry that I left. 
I could hear Lottie again. Greetings from your Lottie. I could hear her speak to me through his letters. I am sorry too, I am for, sorry the too for the manner of my leaving. But I, am but I am not sorry that I left. The weather was so fine for the time of year. I couldn't bring myself to go back inside. And I knew if I didn't leave at that exact moment, I might never go. I might never see the world. I am a doll after all. And dolls don't have the same freedoms that people do. When an opportunity presents itself, they must take it. And speedily. I hope you can understand, I hope you can understand me. As I hope as with, I hope all, with my all my heart, heart that, that this, this letter has reached you. I belong to you. You to me. I belong to you. You to me. Hearing him read the letter from Lottie out loud to me, my despair over losing her had been replaced somehow by an intense curiosity. And so I asked him when the next letter from Lottie would arrive. He looked taken aback at my question. Oh, poor France. He hadn't anticipated her interest that she would want more than one letter, but of course she did. Who wouldn't want a letter from their doll? But, oh, he had the great ability. Oh, he made a game of everything. Everything was such fun with him. From putting the plates on the table to opening letters, the pleasure he took in eating a banana, in sipping wine. And if you gave him a pineapple, his face, the joy. And he loved to talk. So he was happy. Delighted, even, to fulfil the contract he had inadvertently entered into with the little girl. You can take a moment now to walk a little. To walk as Kafka walked when he was thinking, writing. Notebook in his hand. He always had a notebook. And if he forgot it, he bought another one. Never without it. I have reached the city of eight gates, where women's scarves dip into water wells, under olive trees whose twisted roots are 2,000 years old or more. I do wish you could be here with me, but the journey was long. By the time I got, By the time I got here, all I wanted, all I wanted was, a was a hot cup of tea. I had to take a tram and then a train, and after that another train again, and then a ship. Can you believe it? You know how much I hate water. But I swallowed my anxiety, and having done so, I am as close to happiness as I can be without you. Yours, Lottie. Looking back, I realize how careful he must have been with every letter. Lottie always reiterated her love for me, so that I I never felt abandoned by her. I am growing so quickly. It must be the air. I am nearly as tall as you are now. And being nearly as tall as you, I decided to go to school. And like you, I like it very much. I have already learned how to carry water on my head in great big jugs, but I can't walk very far without spilling some. But I am quite cross with myself that I didn't think to pack a winter coat. But that is what comes of leaving so quickly. Having started my schooling, I may as well finish it. And when I return, we can read our books together, stretched out side by side under the elm trees. 
but if it proves at all possible, I shall be very glad to spend the winter here. I don't want to return to Berlin. Not now. Perhaps in a few months. Until then, keep well, Lottie. He had given the doll a magical capacity of growth, and somehow the little girl understood that this capacity had been sparked by the doll moving away from her. He even had the doll muse whether she should open a restaurant or not, which was as much a joke for me as it was balm for the girl. <laughs> we often talked about how we would open a restaurant when we got to Palestine. I would cook and Franz would wait the tables. And we even arranged the furniture in the flat so we could act out our life in this imagined restaurant of ours. I would sit at the table and Franz would serve me. Madam, <laughs> he would have been a terrible waiter. He was too anxious. He couldn't even make a cup of tea without worrying that he wasn't doing it well enough. <laughs> Every day for three weeks and two days, he met me here. I loved those letters. I was so jealous of Lottie and all her adventures. And he read them so seriously, so passionately. When he spoke, his eyes lit up, his long fingers tracing the air. <laughs> yes. Even his fingers spoke. Although he had taken great enjoyment in writing them, Franz worried about how he might bring the letters to a close. He didn't want the little girl to think that Lottie had turned her back on her. But he knew that he couldn't go on. Well, indefinitely. Of course. He was very ill. But he couldn't fix on an end. It, it was torture for him. Endings were always difficult for Franz. He couldn't even sleep. I was quite worried about him and began getting annoyed that he had met the little girl at all. He treated the whole thing as if he were writing a novel, the same intensity, the same worry. He tested theory after theory late into the night and having tested what seemed to me to be an infinite number, Franz decided finally the doll should get married and settle down. I could tell by Kafka's gait, it was a little more hesitant than usual, that this day was going to be different somehow. My dear darling, I'm sure you are wondering why I haven't returned to you by now. I should tell you that, that I, I have met, met someone. He is very charming and thinks only of me. If only you could see how happy I am. We are soon to sign a marriage contract. I am run ragged with preparations. So much to do. So much work, but so much joy. With all the planning, all the planning I barely have a minute and may not have time to write to you as regularly as I have. I hope you understand, but I know you will be pleased for me. When love goes away, it comes back in another form. May peace and love dwell with you. Yours, Lottie. I understood this was the last letter from Lottie. Now she was to be married, she would be far too busy to write to me. But somehow, 
Rather than feeling sad as I should have, I suppose, I felt instead a great surge of happiness for her. I was so pleased that her adventure had come to such a, well, happy end. I ran over to Kafka and hugged him fiercely. He was so thin. It was such a thing to see this little girl's grief transformed by Franz's letters. He had solved a child's conflict by means of art, the most effective method he had for bringing order into the world. He reverberates through me still, like an echo that I can't unhear. Every day I catch a glimpse of him, out of the corner of my eye, scuttling along the shadows, watching me, as I watched him all those years before. <laughs> He helped me peel potatoes in Moritz. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Franz Kafka, shirt sleeves pulled up above his elbows, fingernails dirty. <laughs> it's not how you imagine him, is it? And now we have reached our last stop. Yes, that's it. <laughs> Steglitz sits fair square in the centre of one of the old medieval trade routes that brought spices and cloves and clothes and perfumed confectionaries from one side of the globe to the other. Franz Kafka traced the ghostly remains of this ancient pathway as he travelled from Prague to Berlin, bringing with him the gift of kindness. Kindness. So underrated in this world of ours. Our relationship was based on words. He had rescued me with his words. But I can't help thinking he was preparing me with those letters, readying me in a way for the loss that was and the loss, the great unimaginable loss that was to be. They came looking for me in 59 searching for me, wanting to know if the story about the little girl in Kafka was true. But really they wanted the letters. They wanted Kafka's letters. They wanted to know what a man like him could have written to a little girl like me over three decades before. But they didn't find me. I couldn't be found. They should have come here here to Steglitz City Park, and they would have caught a glimpse of me skipping through watery sunshine towards a tall, thin man in dark coat and hat, standing beside a wooden slatted bench with carved boughs for armrests, a lone rose nearby refusing the call of winter. The voices of all those who walked these paths spin in the air, squirrels dance across tree bark still damp with dew, a young couple waltz in the bandstand to the rhythm of the wind, ducks hungry for crumbs, clamour in the distance, birds rustle unseen in day-glow leaves, and the weeping willows bend low as if to embrace the passers-by. It's beautiful here. You should come.